Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Some of you thought this day would never come. Our final Sunday in the Rooted series. <laughs> We've been in this for three months. We've been at this, and uh, the whole Rooted series is about this. If you're new, brand new to our church, uh, this is about being rooted in the spiritual rhythms of the original church. So where does this original church come from? Acts chapter 2, right? It'll show up right here on the screen. Try and identify the spiritual rhythms, the spiritual habits that we've been practicing in this text. It says this, this original church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's where this all started. And what are the seven rhythms? They're right here. Daily devotions, prayer, repentance, sacrificial generosity, serve the community, share your story, and worship. And the concept was this. We we don't want to just try these rhythms and talk about them, but we want to practice them. But one of my greatest maybe fears or concerns is that we get to the end of three months of practicing these things and we go, well, that was great. Now I'm going to go back to the way I used to do life, the way I used to be a Christian, and instead of saying, you know what, instead of letting those spiritual rhythms and habits be projects, the whole point was to allow them to become a lifestyle. So we've been practicing these spiritual rhythms. I had an opportunity to do it myself this last week. You know, one of the last ones was to share your story. Do you remember that? Did you share your story about how you came to to know Christ with, with anybody in the last couple of weeks? Um, I went to the club that I work out at and uh, I jumped in a swim group. I've been swimming with this group for years, but I haven't shown up for like months. So I haven't seen these guys. Some of them I didn't even know. So we swim this workout and afterwards we end like every good swim workout should end in a hot tub. So I'm in a hot tub, about four or five other guys. And one of the guys that I don't know that well, he says, so you're a pastor. How'd you get into that? I was like, well, let me tell you, we'll have a baptism right here. No. Um, I mean, you just, you just threw me up a softball to tell my story, right? But I was really proud of myself, okay? Because I didn't take 30 minutes to share my story. I did it in one minute. And I just said this. I said, you know, when I was 18 years old, I got invited to go to this camp, this Humulite Christian camp, and to be a counselor for these rotten middle school boys, But this Christian camp, in one week, I watched their lives be changed, and I was about to head off to college, and I just realized this. There is nothing more that I would want to invest my life in than watching these people and people like them come close to God, not give up on the church, and have their hope restored that there really is a God who loves them. Done, right there. That was it. Shared my story in a hot tub, right? Super fun. Now, I didn't do that so that they'd be like, oh my gosh, how do I become a Christian? Like, 
I'm not trying to force my agenda on them. I'm telling my story because we really believe this as Christians, that the answer and the hope of life is found in Jesus Christ. And if I didn't tell my story, it really means I don't really believe that the hope is for them too, right? See, it's not being offensive. It's actually just offering people hope and life. And so there's one of the rhythms. But again, my concern is this, that this series becomes projects that we did as opposed to a doorway into a lifestyle of living out these seven rhythms. My concern is that prayer became a project that we did. You know, that two-hour prayer time that you had with God instead of a lifestyle of daily connecting with God. My concern is that your time in reading the rooted book that you're in and the scriptures that you're reading, that it just became a project to you instead of a lifestyle of feeding our souls or serving like, oh, this is gonna be a project that we do as opposed to what if we constantly are keeping our eyes open, saying, God, open my eyes to the opportunities around me to serve other people. Um, and by the way, I'll just say this, last Sunday in this room was pretty exciting. I mean, we just laid out the gospel. Here's what the story of Jesus is. And I just said, whoever wants to claim that, to either start a relationship with Jesus or restart your relationship with Jesus, I want you to stand up and say, I believe. And all over this room, there are about a dozen of you that made that decision to either start your relationship with Jesus or restart it. Super exciting. So, how was your week then? Did it become this lifestyle of connecting with Jesus? Or was it a one Sunday project? Do you see what I'm saying with this Rooted series? All the progress that God has done in our lives in this season. It's not to end, it's to, it's to progress from here. So, you're in Acts chapter 20, right? We're gonna go through this story about this guy, Paul. He moves from one season to another season. And today, we're moving from one season to another season. So how do we get from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 20? Well, you know this. In Acts chapter 2, the church just explodes in a good way. I mean, thousands of people come to know Jesus. There's 5,000, then 10,000. There's probably about 20,000 people in the church in Jerusalem in a matter of just a year. But then this persecution breaks out. And you remember the guy's name who was killed? His name is Stephen, right? And all of a sudden, these, this church starts getting so big that the community around them is threatened by them, and they start persecuting him. Stephen is killed by having stones thrown at him and dropped on him. And there's a man standing over that, giving his consent and approval. You remember his name? His name is Saul. Yep. He was Paul. He would become Paul. But his name was Saul. And in God, um, Jesus, introduces himself to Saul in a pretty miraculous way, blinds him for multiple days. And then he receives his sight back and he changes from this guy who persecuted the church to going city to city, town by town, now telling the story of Jesus. Paul was the number one influencer in the, in the entire first century. Where we're picking up our story is in one of those towns that he visited and had this huge influence. It's the town of Ephesus. Um, Paul had been there no less than three years, but where we're about to read in Acts chapter 20, he is saying goodbye to them. He's saying, you're never going to see me again. So he announces the end of his season. It goes like this. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you 
among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Why is Paul leaving? He feels compelled by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that lives in him. Like, you need to leave here because your mission is greater than the church of Ephesus. You're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to tell my story there. And by the way, Paul is warned that when he goes, he's going to be put in chains. And eventually he's going to be brought to Rome to tell the story of Jesus. This is the mission that God has given him. Which leads me to kind of an interesting question. Do you know what the most important thing is that you love about your church? You know, if you're 85 or 86, maybe you've been around here for, for 50 years and there's things that you love about this church. You know what the most important thing is you love about this church? If you're a high schooler, you're with us today. You know what the most important thing is that you actually love about this church so that when you turn 19, 20, you go get a job or you go away to college, that you don't actually leave a church. You don't leave your relationship with Jesus behind. You know what it is? You know what you need to love about your church? It's not love the pastor. That would be awesome. The pastor would love that. It's not that you love the music. It's not even actually that you love your community group. That would be awesome if you felt like, man, there are people there that know me, love me, connect with me, I connect with them, I love them. You know what? That, that's actually not the most important thing. The most important thing that you love about your church is the mission of the church. Because that's what God has called us to. He's called us to a mission. It's not about developing so many social network friends here at church. It's not about loving the pastor. It's about the mission. And Paul says this, I'm about to give up my comfort of being here for three years in the church in Ephesus. And because my comfort is not my mission, that preaches. Because the North American church, to be real honest, we all gravitate towards our comfort. But the comfort is not our mission. The mission of this church is displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. You and I, in our words, actions, in, in how we love people, we're gonna display the irresistibility of Jesus because we think if they truly know who he is, they'll find him irresistible. And we're gonna do it in such a way that God's gonna grab their hearts and he's gonna transform their lives. That's our mission. And it's actually the most important thing that you hopefully will ever love about this church. And so Paul says this, I'm going away and I'm gonna pass the baton to you. He's in one season and he does this. He commissioned these new leaders for a new season. So I want you to consider this. The reason we're doing this story, we're leaving one season behind and we're about to walk into a new season. And I wanna hand some of you the baton. Now this is where the message goes a little weird because Paul's going away and he already said, you're never gonna see me again. I hope to be back next week. All right? But I want to do this. I want to hand some of you the baton today. You're influencers. Maybe you've been sitting in your seats and sitting on the sidelines and wondering, can I do this? And in this entire season, we've called you to these seven rhythms of how to become mature in your faith and how to be an influencer in the world around you. How to, how to be this person who loves Jesus and draws other people to how to tell your story. And I want to invite some of you today maybe a lot of you, to actually accept the baton that's handed to you in these words of, of Paul. So Paul's gonna do this. He highlights six leadership qualities. I'm gonna walk you through all six of these. And you don't have to be the next pastor of a church 
or the next elder of a church to jump on board with this. You just have to be a leader, someone who's going to take on the mantle of influencing other people. So he's going to speak specifically to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he starts with this, chapter 20, verse 28. You there? Look in your Bibles, 2028. It says this, keep watch over yourselves. Pump the brakes for just a minute. There's where he starts. You want to be an influencer? You want to be a leader? Uh, here's what you have to do. You got to keep looking in the mirror. Last week, I did a, um, I did a memorial service for a family in our church and uh, went to the graveside. And uh, after the graveside, and we had been there for about a half hour, did the service, I went to go get in my truck, took off my jacket. And that's the point where I looked at my jacket and my pants. Oh, they don't match. They were close enough. My favorite color is gray, so they were both gray. Gray matches my personality. Um, But they didn't match. And I didn't notice why. Because that morning, I didn't look in the mirror. I just threw it on like, well, they were hanging next to each other, one on one, hanger and one on the other. They must go together. But I never looked in the mirror to see that, oh, that's not really fitting for me to wear those together. Now, my mistake was not nearly as bad as my friend's mistake. Uh, he used to be an elder in our church. He has uh, moved away. Fantastic guy. He had a meeting down in Southern California. He uh, got up early, early in the morning in the dark and uh, threw his outfit on, got on an airplane from San Jose to John Wayne, Orange County, got off the plane, was walking through the airport and just thought, man, I just don't feel right. And he looks down at his pants and he realized he wasn't wearing his pants. He was wearing his wife's pants. He's 5'10". She's five foot nothing. He essentially was wearing like knickers and had already gone through one airport and was now in the second airport. He, uh, needless to say, had to run to Target before he got to his next business meeting. Why did he do that? Because he got dressed in the dark. He didn't wake up his wife and say, hey, I'm going to turn the light on and look in the mirror to say, does this look good on me? Does this look right on me? And he could have even said to his wife, hey, would you, would you tell me, does this look right? I should have done that when I went, went to my graveside service. Like, hey, honey, does this look right on me? When Paul says this, I, I want you to keep watch over yourselves. I think what he's saying is this. Take a look in the mirror at your character. Does the way I just spoke to them, does that fit me well? as a person who represents Jesus? Does my attitude right now, is it fitting to, to, to have that kind of attitude and be a follower of Christ? It's about looking in the mirror at our own character. And I'll tell you what's also helpful, not just looking in the mirror saying, hey, did I handle that well? Or who am I? It's asking other people who we trust and love us, say, hey, how does that, how did those words fit on me? Were they appropriate? Were they good? Listen, if you're going to be an influencer, if you're going to be a leader, he says this. First of all, you got to do this. You got to keep watch over your own life before you're ever going to watch someone else's life. And I know some of you are thinking this. Well, you know what? That's why I've never stepped up. I I don't want to watch over somebody else's life because my life is such a disaster. We're not asking for, 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 for perfection. We're asking for honest evaluation and growth. So he goes to number two. Keep watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I'm going to say it this way. Nurture the people that God entrusted to you. You know, early in this service, uh, Tyler read a scripture 
about Peter's denial, where he's like, no, I don't even know Jesus. But then Jesus comes to him, tries to reinstate him, and asks him, so, so Peter, do you love me? He's like, sheepishly, he's like, yeah, come on, Jesus, you know I love you. I, I didn't mean it when I said that before, right? And he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And it's so interesting that he says this, I want you to go feed my sheep. Did Peter, at that moment, feel worthy of shepherding the church of God? Of course not. That was Jesus' invitation to him. Do you think that invitation and that position that, that, that Jesus invited to him helped him go, well, if I'm going to be this kind of leader in a church, then I have to lead this kind of life. You better believe it. Can I be honest with my own testimony? You guys, being a pastor, I think, helps me sometimes. Sometimes it helps me more than it helps you. And I'll, I'll be honest, it should work the way that goes, you know what, I've developed this amazing character and therefore qualified to be a pastor. You know, truth be told, there's moments where I ask the question, okay, what should a pastor do in this situation? <laughs> and it keeps me on the right track. Listen, it's not an excuse for having poor character as a pastor, all right? But pastors aren't perfect. And if I'm going to invite you to pick up a baton of leadership, a person of influence in this church, you could be sitting on the sidelines the rest of your life looking in the mirror going, yeah, but I'm not perfect yet. Yeah, but I'm not perfect yet. Me neither. I think sometimes when we step into these roles like God invited Peter to, it changes us, and we rise to the challenge of that. By the way, it is interesting that Jesus, I think it's maybe the first time that he, he creates this illustration, hey, I want you to feed my flock. He compares the church to a flock of sheep. Can I be straight with you? It's not a flattering comparison. Y'all been around sheep before? They are not bright, but that's another story for another time. You want to be a leader, a person who makes a difference in other people's lives, then I would say this, don't seek the title or the position. I just want you to start caring for the people around you. Don't sit on the sidelines outside of a community group of people. I mean, there's a group of people that you can go and be influential with. I know we all go to a community group, we go, oh, is this group good for me? <laughs> it's a consumer question. It's not a leader question. You don't, you're not the leader of the group but you go there to say, how do I nurture and care for the people that God has brought me? I think there's people all around us and maybe you've gotten into this syndrome where you see needs around you and have you ever thought this? You know, the church should really do something about that. Have you ever thought that in all honesty? Like, you know what, there's this person and their marriage is really struggling. You know, the church should really help them out. Who's the church? It's people. It's believers. It's people who go, no, that, that's my church. If you call this church my church, then you are the church. Now, we often, though, think, you know what? The leadership of the church should help out with that. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying that why would we stick to such a small resource of the staff of a church when you're sitting in the audience and God is inviting you to pick up the baton of that marriage is struggling? You go help them. Or you go find somebody that can help them. I, I'm literally doing this today. I'm saying, you know what? Y'all don't need me as much as you think you do. You don't need our staff as much as you think you do. There's someone in the hospital. Don't call me. Now, if I love them and if I care for them and I know them, please call me. But you go visit them. 
Like, you go carefully. You go bring them the dinner. This is, I think, what this is about, where Paul is saying, I'm leaving. Y'all are in charge. Keep watch over this flock. Keep watch over yourself. Nurture the people that are right here in front of you. The third is this. I'm going to say it this way and then walk you through this text. I think number three is this. Stay rooted in your spiritual habits. The things we just did over the last 13 weeks, don't stop them. Keep them up. Here's why. Verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Listen to where they're going to come from. Verse 30. Even from your own number, from your own church, from your own people, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Savage wolves. I mean, that's quite a picture, right? What, what is a savage wolf, wolf an illustration for? It's false teachers. It's people who are going to distort the word of God. They're going to try to confuse it, combine it with something else, minimize it, or deny it. And sometimes it happens unintentionally in our community groups. Sometimes someone knows very well that that is not of the word of God, but they just don't want to follow the word of God and they want to follow their own agenda or their own political agenda or their own whatever agenda. And so they start twisting what the word of God says. We need you out there who know the word of God, who are having a daily devotion to make sure that we really are teaching truth, not just from this stage, but we're teaching truth in our community groups as well. So how do people stay connected to this truth of Jesus Stay connected. By the way, what's, what's, what's the strategy of a wolf? You don't attack the whole flock at once, right? You isolate one. And you push them away so that they no longer are with the flock. And you isolate them so that they can be devoured by something that is not true. So, why did I say this? Because it sounds, I mean, where did you get to stay rooted in the spiritual habits? I mean, everything that we've talked about. Our habits anchor us to the truth. You're in God's word every day. You're going to be reading the truth so that when someone says something that is off, that is not right, you're like, I don't know what that is, but that didn't smell right. And I think it's okay to kindly and lovingly in a group say, so help me understand what you're saying from the Bible. Because this is our source, right? I mean, I, I want to belong to the kind of church we believe in tattered Bibles, right? We say we've been wearing out Bibles since 1850. I want this question asked in every single community group over and over and over again. What does the Bible say about that? Because this is the authority that God's given us. I think our spiritual habits that we have will anchor us to the truth and protect us from those that might rise up to lead people away. Number four, if you're going to be a leader and influencer, I think we have to live in the promise of God's presence and the power of the gospel. Now, look at me. I know that that sentence, as soon as I said it, it sounds so churchy. <laughs> like, what, what, what does it even mean? This is how Paul says it. Verse 32, he says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. And that little phrase, the word of his grace, you might as well have said the gospel. I'm committing you to the gospel story of Jesus, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Okay, Paul's reminding them, I'm leaving. And up to this point, they've been relying on Paul. If they have a problem, they're like, hey, Paul, what should I do about that? What do you think? They don't have the New Testament to go to. They go to Paul like, hey, hey Paul, 
Well, what do you think I should do about that? Hey, Paul, there's someone sick. Hey, Paul, there, there, there's this family in need. What do, what do you think we should do about that? They rely on Paul's relationship with God to find their confidence. And he says this, I commit you to God. Here's how I said it. I think we need to live in the promise of God's presence. Question, do you believe God is with you? No, do you really believe God is with you? Because I know a lot of you believe that God is with people. You know, when you accept Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. Like, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives inside me. He's with me. You believe that here, but do you actually believe that he's with you? Not with those guys over there. We know this is like the holy half over here, right? This whole group over here at church, man, they are like super holy. God's clearly over there. I mean, but you guys over here, do you really believe that he's with you? What I mean by that is when someone says, so you go to church, why do you do that? Do you actually believe that God is with you in that moment, that the next thing out of your mouth is your willingness to tell your story and tell the story of Jesus, that he's with you and empowering you to do that? Because if you notice how how Paul said this, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. I commit you to this gospel story. Romans 1.16 says, we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for those who believe, first for the Jews and then for the, the Gentiles. Do you believe that God empowers you? I'll tell you this. Um, I have the same practice every Sunday morning. I sit right over here. I don't know why I don't sit over there. You guys already got Jesus, I guess, so I don't sit over there. This group needs him. So I sit here, and before I come up, I tell myself two things. Number one, I'm letting you know the inside of like how I do this. This is weird. I first tell myself this, smile. Because when I'm sitting there, I'm like focused. I'm like, okay, I got to say this and this and this. Then my face looks like this. Get up to preach the gospel. It's called good news, but my face looks like this. Like, that's not good. And then I say this. I quote John 8, 29. For the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Of course, that verse ends in, and I always do what pleases him. I'm working on that part. But Jesus said that when his authority was questioned, when people were coming after him. You're doing this thing, you're, you're teaching this truth. Who do you think you are? That's what he, that's what people were asking of him. You know what? I ask myself that all the time. Scott, who, who do you think you are to pastor this church? Who do you think you are to tell other people about Jesus? And I got to stand on my feet. And quote what Jesus quote, because I do believe it's the truth, that the one who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. Do you believe that for you? That the one who sent you, saved you, called you to a mission, he hasn't left you, he's absolutely with you, and he's going to empower you. That's what empowers me in these moments right now. But that's not for a pastor, that's for all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? But do we live into that? I think we need to live in the promise of God's presence and the power of the gospel. Here's number five. We're getting close to the end here. It's real simple. It's be generous. This is what he says, Acts 20, 33. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs 
and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord himself had said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know this? Paul was called a tent maker. You know why? He made tents. Uh, he, he had his own job. Like he, he would make tents. Like he had a trade so that he wasn't dependent on anybody else so that he could preach the gospel. And so he says this, I just worked so hard that I was trying as best I could to be generous with you. And then he quotes this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he, he not only, he, he says who said it, right? It's a quote from Jesus, yeah. Whenever the pastor has like a fill in the blank, sometimes it's always Jesus, right? You know this, that, that sentence is not actually quoted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. <laughs> it's the only place in the scripture where that quote shows up. I'm not saying Jesus didn't say it. I believe he did. It's just not recorded in any other place. But isn't that interesting? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And some of you get that now. Because in the last 12 weeks, we invited you to give sacrificially, to serve the community around you. And some of you did that. And you're like, that was awesome. It was so fun. Maybe you were coming here at this church for 10 years and you hadn't yet contributed in any way. And you're like, yeah, I just kind of come and go and, you know, I don't know anybody and I really, the place isn't different because I'm there. And you finally have realized the joy of living a generous life. Um, If you haven't, I would invite you to discover what it's like to live a life of generosity. Um, I'll tell you in the last two weeks, maybe three weeks now. My wife and I just keep praying the same prayer over, over, and over again. God, open our eyes to the opportunities in front of us to serve other people. And God, open our eyes to opportunities to be generous around us. It changes how I come to work. It changes how I go to the club and work out. It changes how I go to the grocery store changes how I go to the gas station. It changes my meetings with some of you. This life of generosity, Paul says, you know, there's just a ton of joy in it. And those are the five things that are qualities of a person of leadership. If you're going to accept the baton of being an influencer here, those are five things Paul says you should probably have. I know I gave you six, right? But he only gives us actually five commands here. The sixth, I'm going to say it this way. Um, It seems to be illustrated by what happens next. And the illustration, let me just give you the line and then tell you the story. He says, remember the church as a family. That's how I'm going to say it. This church that you're going to lead is knit together and it should be a family. Um, For the church in Ephesus, they had actually been through a lot. I told you Paul had been there for three years, right? Um, He went in town and started teaching, and then some people started giving him a hard time. He had to switch from teaching at the synagogue to this temple of Tyrannus. Like, it was just, it was this other place, and all of a sudden, it was more than just Jews who were coming to him. Everybody in the city, all of a sudden, this revival breaks out. All kinds of people start becoming Christians. Um, Paul became so powerful that he was able to heal a bunch of people in that city as well. And so when Paul does this farewell, I guarantee you, they're sitting there in that moment, they're going, man, Paul, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when you, we, we first started telling people about Jesus? And yeah, I wasn't saved at the time, and I heard you, Paul, you saved my life. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that through him. Do you remember when? 
And there's so many interesting stories. There's one crazy story where these guys who really wanted to be like influential in town, they went to this one guy who was possessed by a demon and they said this, in the name of Jesus, whom this guy Paul knows, like we don't know Jesus, we're not following Jesus, we're not really Christians, but in the name of this guy Paul, the Jesus who this guy Paul knows, commands you to come out. And the demon literally says, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who do you think you are? And the the end of the story goes, the demon beat them up and they ran away bloody and naked. As Paul's saying goodbye to the church, they're like, remember when those guys got beat up? Man, this is so funny. They thought they were Christians. But it was in that moment that fear actually broke out around the town and in the church. And it says that all these people who were trying to be Christians and also involved in this thing called sorcery, they brought all of their books, dumped what is the equivalent of millions of dollars of these books and burned them to say, we only follow Jesus, not anything from our past anymore. This church became so powerful in Ephesus that at one point, these guys who in the marketplace, they would build these little shrines. That's how they made their living. They're like, wait, 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 our living is going away. They started a riot. They brought these Christians into this arena and they started shouting, great is God of the Ephesians. Like there's this huge riot that went on. Can you imagine Paul and these guys later on? Like, man, we barely escaped that. That was crazy. Remember when that happened? This church has been through so much together so that when they said goodbye listen to how this goes verse 36 when paul had finished speaking so his commands are over he knelt down with all of them and prayed they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. See, the church is a family. So when he tells them, I'm leaving, I'm passing the baton of leadership, remember these five things. In that moment, I think what's illustrated is that they're family. And when you pull family apart, it's painful. I remember when Kelly and I dropped Courtney off at college, they invited us to do this exercise where the family all stands around, our daughter and our son there, and then we start writing scripture verses in chalk on the sidewalk. And I was like, oh, I know where we're going to go. We went right outside my dad's office, at least where it used to be. He was a professor at Azusa Pacific University for like 30 years. My dad passed his faith on to me. I owned it. I took the baton. I was like, that's mine. I don't believe it because of who you are, dad. I I believe it actually for myself. I own it. It's my baton. And I'm going to influence this world in the name of Jesus. And I handed that. Kelly and I both handed this to our daughter, Courtney. And we stood around and the word legacy came up. Right outside my dad's office, who was a follower of Christ, we're standing around writing these verses and we're, we're getting to break up our family. She's our oldest, right? We're getting ready to like send her off to college. We're going to leave. And it's not that we're never going to see her again, right? But in that moment, Courtney, the God who sent you is with you. He has not left you alone. So live in such a way that always pleases him. And we gather there as grandparents, 
parents and kids as our family is ripped apart at that moment. I know it sounds a little dramatic, but you leave part of your heart there, right? This is what happened to Paul in the church. Can I ask you a question? If you left, would your heart be ripped from this place? Because this is family to you. I know people in our church who are in their 80s who have said this. My kids live across the country, but this is my church family. I'm not leaving my family. This is my church. Or if you left from here, would anybody notice? Because you've been so influential in their life. People of influence and people of leadership, when they leave, people weep. But I think it's so easy to sit and consume and be comfortable instead of pick up the baton of leadership and say, I'm going to be family. And I'm going to make it family for other people as well. Rooted is not a series. Rooted is a doorway so that you and I live this lifestyle of staying connected to Jesus, getting about his mission, and watching him transform lives. Please don't go back to how you used to live the Christian life. If this has been influential for you, I invite you to be family with us. I have only left one other church in my life when I was in Southern California after being there for 10 years, and it was gut-wrenching because I loved deeply some of the people that I was working with, some of those students in our student ministries. It was, it was hard. It took me a while to kind of recover from that. But you know what that means? It means the depth of what God had done there was so great that it hurt to leave. Don't you want to belong to that kind of family? I think inside all of us, we crave it. So let's create it. Let's be family. Let's change our community. Let's change our city. Let's bow our heads. get emotional about this, you guys. I get emotional about it because I know the potential of what it is God can do through a person who's willing to submit their life to him. So I'm going to read a series of questions or statements in this prayer that say, God, give us this. And if you want this, I would invite you to really pray this in your own heart, to say, God, I, I want that because these are all qualities of a leader. So let's bow our heads and Close our eyes and just spend a minute. Let me pray and you pray along with me. God, would you give us eyes to see the opportunities right in front of us? Give us eyes to see the needs of people. God, give us hearts of compassion. God, give us confidence that you're with us and empowering us. God, give us conviction that you're actually calling us to this kind of influence. And Lord, I want to pray for just a handful of people in this room, and I don't know who they are. But I want to pray for a handful of people in this room who I believe that you will call to become pastors. Lord, Paul was handing the baton 
to these leaders in the church. And I, I do believe, God, that there's some people, I don't know if it's a high schooler sitting in the balcony right now or someone who's in a current career and is going to change careers at some point. But I think you can call somebody at this moment to be a pastor and a leader in a church. And so, God, would you bring conviction to them? Invite them, call them. And I pray for the rest of us, though, Lord, all the followers in this room. I believe that every believer in this room, that they can accept the call to be a person of influence right where they are. And I know that you're bringing some conviction on some people's lives right now. And I pray that they would say yes to you and understand the joy of that life and how great it is. So Jesus, we say yes to you. Pray that Rooted is not just a project, but a doorway for us to follow you in a new way. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said...